I invite you to be seated. My CNU students, come on, helping us out with some props. Can you give them a hand? Okay, while, while they're doing that, just a couple of quick things. This is a giveaway. This is for Rachel. So a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about how much I love cookies and how I'm in the minority. I'm an oatmeal raisin cookie person living in a chocolate chip cookie world. And, uh, and so they play, Claire and Rachel play volleyball together, and she works at Subway. And so after practice, the week after that message, right, she was here. And uh, guess who got some oatmeal raisin cookies sent home? I know, right? So thank you, Rachel. Yes, so good. And we also want to welcome Pastor Barama. Can you raise your hand? It's good. Yes, from Niger. He's a pastor from Niger, Africa. It's an honor to have you with us tonight. And uh, Link, Michael Thaler, raise your hand, founder of Link, leading innovatively Niger to the kingdom. It's a missions organization that we're getting ready to partner with uh, in some big ways here at City Life Church. I went to Niger on a trip in 2009, 10 years ago. I met Pastor Barama and uh, saw him again for the first time in the hallway. And he said, you haven't changed a bit. And I was like, I really like this guy. I know. I know. It's okay. It's okay to lie in church. It's all right. If you're telling somebody they look good, you just keep lying. That's good. It's good for us. Uh, tonight's going to be a good night. Sermon illustrations abound. Hey, let me, let, me just, let me set some expectations. You know, sometimes there's a slide that's going to pop up of a, of a shape on there. Sometimes, th- this is what I'm going for in, in my message, is I want to I stretch what you believe about what it means to be a Christian. If the blue circle represents what you believe and the white circle represents everything else that the Bible has to say, some messages are intended to stretch what you believe. Does that make sense? You with me? Then there's some weeks where we're correcting what we believe. If you've been around church for any amount of time like me, we, we've, we've grown up being told things and taught things that aren't right. And so sometimes our messages are setting aside things that aren't right and picking up the things. Sometimes our messages are, let's really look at what Jesus said. Right? You with me? Like the idea that both Republicans and Democrats can both go to heaven. You with, right? So we're, sometimes we're changing what you believe here at the City Life Church. Tonight, this is what tonight's about. Tonight is about challenging you to live up to the truth that you know. Live up. Chris was all up in my notes in that worship wrap-up. He didn't have any idea what we were going to be preaching on tonight. It was all up in these notes tonight. If, if we would just live up to the truth that we know we would change our city. We would change. So when we get into the meat of this message, we're going to be talking about three things specifically that I think almost every single one of you in here already believe it to be true. So my challenge to you, if you believe it, do it. If you're in the cafe right now watching, if you're in the nursing mother's room watching, if you're on the live stream, watch it on YouTube. If you're listening to this message and it's five years from now and Jesus hasn't come back and you're searching through the archive and you find this, what we're saying tonight, if you believe it, do it. If you believe it, do it. A couple of weeks ago, we launched a new mission here at City Life as part of our Legacy Weekend. And if you go to our website, citylifeva.com, you can find it there. But this is our message, to build our mission, to build a church that Jesus envisioned to love the world he died to save. To build the church Jesus envisioned to love the world he died to save. Now that mission statement wasn't just to come up with some fancy, cliche-ish, alliterated type message to inspire people. This comes from three statements that Jesus made. To seek and to save the lost, he said, build my church. And then he also said that you'll know, the world will know that you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. That's what this series is about. Why do be? The first one answers, seek and save the lost. It answers to the question, why did Jesus come? 
So when Jesus says, I came to seek and to save the lost, we know he's saying, my why has to become your why. And then we say, okay, God, how are we supposed to do that? And his answer to that is build my church. That's the do. Right? Seeking to save the lost is the why. Do is build my church. And when we say, how are we supposed to build a church? That's when he comes and says, have love for one another. Because for Jesus, for Jesus, building the church has always been about building himself in us. It's about the character of Christ forming in us. Because in John 12, 32, Jesus said, if I be high and lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And so as a church, what we're saying is we want his why to become our why. We want to take as many people to heaven with us as we can. And we believe that Jesus' plan, his strategy, should be our plan and our strategy. And that is that we're going to give our lives to the building of his church. And the primary way that we're going to build that church is by building the character of Christ in us. Now next week, in two weeks, two, yeah, two weeks, because next week is our prayer service. In two weeks, we're going to talk specifically about how Christ is formed in us. So each week in this series, we're taking one of those boxes that were just up on the screen that talks about the three parts of this new mission. So tonight, we're talking about specifically what it means to build the church. Now we know this idea of Christ being formed in us happens primarily through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the work and the power of the Holy Spirit, it is impossible for our human nature to change. It is a supernatural work. That's the power. But there is a process, and that's what we call discipleship. Again, that's going to be in two weeks. Without the power, discipleship would not be effectual. But can we just agree with all the power if we're not doing our part? If we're not doing our part, God is a gentleman and he doesn't force it on you. He asks us to participate with him. The Holy Spirit is the power. Discipleship is the process. But there's something else, I believe, to building his church that we're going to talk about tonight. If the Holy Spirit is the power and discipleship is the process, then the church is the place where it all comes together. If the Holy Spirit is the power, and discipleship is the process, then church is the place where it all comes together. Now, we know that the Bible talks about the church in a few different ways. And one of the ways that the Bible talks about the church, it talks about the church as a person. And it uses the analogy of the being the bride of Christ, that we are the bride of Christ. And whenever you find that in Scripture, it's talking about the person of the church. And if you follow that metaphor, which I believe is what Jesus intended, that marriage is two becoming one, I think us being the bride of Christ is God reminding us, he's doubling down, the way you build the church is you become like Christ. But sometimes the Bible talks about the church in a different light. Sometimes the Bible talks about the church as a place. We know it's a person, that's going to be in two weeks, but we also believe that it is a place with a geographic identity. It is a location. And we know this because as we read throughout the New Testament, we see this incredible list of cities all throughout the world that the Apostle Paul went to. Now this is just a sampling of all the places in the New Testament where it says the church of. Now, if you're familiar with some of the books of the Bible, maybe you're picking this up, right? Maybe if you've not been around church a lot, but some of the words are familiar, you realize that the book of Corinthians is because there was a church in Corinth, and Paul was writing a letter to them. Maybe you're looking at that list, and you see the word Ephesus up there, and you realize, wait, that sounds like a book in the Bible. It is. It's the book of Ephesians, because there was a church in Ephesus, and Ephesians is Paul's letter to the church. The church is both a people, the bride of Christ, 
that exists in a place with a geographic identity. If we're going to give ourselves to building the church, we've got to do both. We've got to be about building the character of Christ in us through the process of discipleship in the context of the local church, trusting and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. But it also means that we've got to devote our lives to building the place of the local church that God calls you to be a part of. You would be hard-pressed to find a person in the New Testament who had a more dramatic conversion experience than the Apostle Paul, who gave us the majority of the New Testament, the one who traveled to all these places, the one who wrote all those letters, the one who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to do it, knowing that one day they would become the sacred scriptures that we cherish it's interesting to me that this person that had such a dramatic conversion, you can read about in the book of Acts, who was Saul of Tarsus, who eventually became the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, that he devoted his life to what? Building churches around the world. His, his mission in life was to establish the church, and I believe it's because he understands what we're saying. We believe today that if you want to see the lost sought and saved, you've got to build the church to do it. I've shared this definition with you before. I try to share it every year. I'm going to read it to you again. Church, every entity in the first century that warranted the title church had a specific geographic identity, a recognizable organizational structure, an identifiable membership, an agreed-to leadership, a weekly corporate worship service, the collection and distribution of financial resources with its members actively engaged in ministry according to their giftings and callings. You cannot read this book with honesty and integrity, searching, saying, God, what does the church look like, and not come up with a definition like that. All of those cities that we read, all of the Pauline epistles, you can find that this is what the local church sounded like, and 2,000 years later, it should be the same. The question is, the question is, what are you doing to build it? What are you doing to give of your life to build what Jesus said he came to create? Somebody say workers. All right, if you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew 9.38. Matthew 9.38. So this is Jesus talking about the lost again being sought and saved. And listen to what he says. He says, pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. And ask him to send more workers into his fields. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest, talking about going out by the harvest being the lost that need to find their way to heaven. Ask him, that's us asking him, to send more workers into the fields. I love that he calls us workers. In one translation, it's called laborers because he expects us to break a sweat for the kingdom. He expects us. There's effort involved. There's work to be done. You and I understand what that feeling of work and what labor is because most everybody in here has a J-O-B. And that's why you're glad it's the weekend. Because work is hard and labor is hard and it's tiring. It means sometimes doing things that you don't want to do. Sometimes work involves doing things that you love, but even if you're doing something that you love, it's still hard work. That's, Jesus could have used any word there that he wanted to, to talk about our role in going out, building the church. But what does he say? He calls us workers. He calls us laborers because there's an effort that we're supposed to bring. 
Now you might say, Fred, I think he's really talking about seeking the saving the lost. He's not really talking about building the church. But I would say to you, that's what this series is all about. To Jesus, there's no different. They're one and the same. Because seeking to save the lost is asking the question, why? That's why this series is called, Why Do Be? It's, at, it's answering the question, why did Jesus come? The doing is, okay, if that's what we, why we believe Jesus came, then what does he want us to do so his why can become our why? He says, build my church. And it's going to take work. It's going to take labor. It's going to be showing up on a Friday night, not just to eat Donato's pizza, because that was really good but to take shovels and edge the parking lot to get it ready. It's for cutting down bushes. There's a work and a labor and an effort to be done. But sometimes people aren't interested in the work. Sometimes people aren't interested in the labor. And Jesus had a lot to say about that too. Look at Luke 9. Oh, these are great verses. Luke 9, 57 to 62. I tell people all the time, they ask me on the end of Saturday, how do you think your sermon was? And I say, you should ask somebody else because I always have a great time. (laughs) As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus is like, all right, all right. Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, if my mission is going to become your mission, I'm going to change the way you spend your money. He said to another person, come, follow me. And and the man agreed, but he said, Lord, you got to let me return home first and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, if your mission is going to be my mission, then I'm going to change the way you spend your time. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow, but first let me go say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying to this third person, if my mission is going to become your mission, I'm going to change the way you spend your emotional energy. Each of these three conversations are given to us to help us identify three reasons why people pull back from living up to the truth that they know. See, this is what's powerful. All of them recognize Christ as the Messiah. All of them understand who he is and what his ministry is about. And all of them are saying to themselves, I should be with that guy. But yet they don't go. Not because they don't believe, but because they're not willing to live up to the truth that they know. It's interesting that all of the excuses that they gave are all good things. Don't you love that Jesus didn't give us an account of a conversation with three people who were doing bad things. And I think the reason for this is because Jesus does not disqualify us for who we used to be and maybe for who we are, but we disqualify ourselves for who we're not willing to become. Can you imagine if the people had given excuses Because of the ugly things in their lives, Jesus is saying, this isn't about disqualification for ugliness. This is about personal disqualification. Taking yourself off the workforce because you're not willing to let Jesus change the way you spend your money and your time and your emotional energy. If his why is going to become our why, we've got to devote ourselves to building the church. 
And building the church isn't just about building the person of Christ in us. It's about building the local church in the city where we live. If we don't have a kingdom, listen to me, church. If we don't have a kingdom work ethic, then we are out of step with the character of Christ. If we don't have a kingdom work ethic, then we are out of step with the character of Christ. Now listen to these verses in Luke 14. Now see, the first one I read because those were actual conversations. And I think that actual conversation inspired Jesus to then write this parable. And as you move through the Gospel of Luke, a few chapters, you come to Luke 14, 16 to 20. Now this is a parable. These aren't actual conversations, but if you look at the language carefully, you find that it's the same three categories. And that's not a coincidence. Jesus replied with the story, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations, like to the men's retreat. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell his guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. Three excuses, right? Just like the actual conversation. I think Jesus is like, oh, I'm going to write a sermon out of this. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. The clarifier is to inspect it. Which this is this this idea. He's going to change the way you give your time. This this person's saying, I just bought a field. I need to inspect it. I've got priorities. I'm a busy person. And Jesus is saying, we're going to have to change that. Listen to the second one. Another said, I just bought five pairs of oxen. I want to try them out. Now you might think this is like building the field. Something's purchased, but the clarifier changes. This isn't about inspection. This isn't about business. This isn't about priorities. This is about enjoyment. Now, it's hard for us to understand how you could enjoy 10 pair of oxen, five pair of oxen, 10 oxen. But that's because we don't live in a world where we're shopping for oxen anymore. Now, if I were to make this about myself, I would say, Jesus, I I just bought a 2019 Kawasaki Versus 1000. I, I can't. I've got to go ride my motorcycle. Now, I didn't just buy that motorcycle, but if I had, I would have called in sick tonight because (laughs) I have the same kind of issues that you do. We all have these problems. Jesus is saying, if my mission is going to become your mission, I'm going to change the way you spend your time. Right? It's the same exact categories from the conversation because Jesus is like, this would make a great sermon, and here he is preaching it. I'm going to change the way you spend your time. I'm going to change the way you spend your money. What is the third one? Oh, yeah. Listen to this third one. This is a great example. Jesus is funny. Another said, I I just got married. I I just got married. Don't you love that there's no clarifier here? I think that's Jesus making a joke. Because everybody who was there understood what the clarifier was. I know. And if you don't get that, you're going to get it later. And if you really don't get it, you can go back to the Eden series and listen to the sermon about enjoy, and that will help you along. So we just, you know, we just got married, so I'm not, I'm not going to make it. Jesus is saying, I'm going to change the way you spend your emotional energy. It's interesting, right? These same three are not bad things. They're all good things. They're all things that are part, supposed to be a part of the human experience. They're all things that are supposed to be a part of our lives. Jesus is not saying that any of these things are bad. What he's saying If there's no room for the church because of these things, it's not because your life is filled with bad things, it's because it's filled with too many things and you've got to make room. 
He's not saying that wealth is bad. He's not saying to the person that that bought the oxen. He's not saying to the, the person that has means who can afford things like that. He's not saying that wealth is bad. He's not saying that having means is bad. He's not saying that enjoying nice things in this life is bad. And if you've been taught that they are, then someone's misrepresented scripture to you. God doesn't have any problem with wealth, and he doesn't have any problem with people using that wealth to enjoy life. What he's saying is, if you enjoy that wealth at the expense of building the local church, then your life's out of alignment. He's saying to you and me, you've got to make room for the body of Christ to be built in you, and you've got to make room in your life to build the local church. All right, which one is the clock going in front of? Helping you out? I know. I was going to wear this necklace tonight, but Vanessa said it wouldn't go with my outfit. Hey. You guys have been trying to figure out what those balloons were about all night, haven't you? I know. Claire had the best guess, bragging on my daughter again. She said, I think it has to do with the pathways because that's how we figure out if the pathways are present in our life through red, yellow, and green. I was like, no, I hadn't thought of that, but that's a great idea. The question is, are you willing to let God make some room in your life? Okay, if anybody's asleep, this is where we're going to find out if there's any profanity in their language. You with me, right? That's what your life is supposed to sound like this week. You with me? It's you blowing some things up and making room in your schedule for building the church. What color do you think these balloons are going to be? Who said, yeah, white, because we are the bride of Christ. This is, this is what it's going to look like for you, making room. Now, let me show you what I'm going to do. I'm not going to fill this barrel up. You know why I'm not going to fill this barrel up? Because you should have margins in your life. You've got to be willing to blow up more of your schedule than what you need to make room for in the church because for many of us, we're just living and our lives are too full. You've got to make room. You've got to make room. Sometimes it means blowing things up, but sometimes it might mean not getting rid of it. It could just be making it smaller, and that makes room. For some of you, you've got to ask yourself this question. If you're visiting from another church, then you ask it about the church that you call home. When the church meets every week, are you there more often than you're not? You can't, I get it, you can't go to church every week. But are you there more often than you're not? Because if you're not there more often than you're not, then you're not spending your time the way that you're supposed to. God's given us enough time to be at church more often than we're not. How about this one? Is there a ministry in the church that you call home that you serve in? Because if there's not a ministry in the church that you call home that you serve in, you got to either blow some things up or you got to make them smaller. It could mean that you've got too many hobbies. It could mean that your, 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 your commitment to your job and your business, your vocation, it's too much. 
Now, I get that. I understand that there are seasons in life. I, I'm tracking with you. I know that there are seasons where you can be overwhelmed and you've got to pull back because your job is asking so much of you. But what I'm, I'm not talking about seasons. I'm saying if that's been you for the last couple of years, then it's not a season. It's a problem. And you've got to make room. Oh, do you want to talk about the money bucket? Oh, because I want to talk about the money bucket. We probably should have told the security team we were going to be doing that, right? All right, here we go. That's the missions giving balloon I just put in. That's the tithing balloon I just put in. This is the, a church just got donated a multi-million dollar facility that needs some work done on it balloon I just put in. Yeah, yeah. I didn't fill this up. Margins. Margins. you got to have margins in your finances. Now, for some of you, it's going to take you a little while to get there, but what I would say is start doing the work to get there. Start doing the work to get there. Like, this is about you living up to the truth that you already know. See, I'm not asking you to believe that it's important to do work at the local church. That's another sermon for another time. What I'm saying, if you believe that you should be giving your life to build the local church, do it. I'm not asking you to believe in tithing. I'm not asking you to believe in that, but I know that many of you do. If you believe it, do it. I'm not asking you to believe in giving to missions. Pastor Barama, come on, Niger, Africa. I'm not asking you to believe in missions, but what I'm saying is if you believe it, do it. Every month, set something aside to give to missions fund. 100% of all the money for missions goes right back out the door here at City Life Church. 100%. 100%. I'm not asking you to believe in a miracle of a church being gifted a multi-million dollar facility. I'm just saying if you do, and if you call City Life Church your home, then you need to get ready with your finances because we're going to do some great things here. You tracking with me? Not asking you to change what you believe. I'm not trying to stretch what you believe. I'm saying that if you already believe it, then you should do it. If you already believe it. Mm -hmm. This is the love bucket right here. That's that relationship that you just can't get rid of, right? That's great. This, this was maybe for some young adults right here, right? That person that's so cute on the outside. Move on. Yeah, yeah. We're just going to dump all the rest of these right here. Just dump them all in there. Margins. You hit margins. Margins. I wrestled with what to call this, and I settled on emotional energy because I think that's what best articulates what I think Jesus is trying to say. He's trying to say you've got to make room in your life for the right relationships. And right relationships take emotional energy. In whatever church that you call home, and if you call this your church home, you should be able to come into settings like this and look around the room, and there should be two groups of people that you find in here. There should be some people that you know, and the reason you know them is because you recognize that they are further along in their spiritual journey than you are, 
and you've invited them to speak into your life. There should be a second group of people in this room that as you look around, and it's because you're a little bit farther along in your spiritual journey than they are, and they're asking you to speak into their life. If you don't have the emotional energy to do those things, then your life's out of balance. Your life's out of balance. You should have the emotional energy to invest in relationships where people are building you and invest in relationships where you're building other people. Now, I know it can't happen overnight. If you're new to the church, it takes time to get there. But what I'm saying is keep enough margin in your life so that when you've gone to a few life groups, when you've started serving in ministry, when you've been to base camp or the ladies' brunch, over time, and it probably takes a good, it takes a good year, it takes a good year to really start a good solid 12 months of being active to where those relationships will begin to form. They don't happen overnight, but they will form if you begin to work those pathways that we're going to be talking about in a couple of weeks. And when you get there, make sure that you've got the emotional energy to invest in those relationships. There is a reason why Jesus focused on these three categories in the conversation and in the parable is because he knows that 2,000 years later, even though we're not buying oxen and fields as much, we're still the same people. And Jesus is saying the same thing to us. If his mission is going to become our mission, we've got to let him change the way we spend our money. We've got to let him change the way we spend our time. And we've got to let him change the way that we spend our emotional energy. Live up to what you believe. If you believe those things are important, then do it. Get some things out of your life. Minimize some things that are already there. And make room for the things that matter. I think that's part of what Jesus meant when he said to us, store up your treasures in heaven. I think he was saying to you and to me, make sure that you're giving your life to things that are eternally significant. It's hard to change those types of things in our lives because all of those things are good. See, this is what makes it hard. Sometimes it's, it's easy to see the things that we need to get rid of because they're bad and they're destructive. But sometimes it's hard to make changes in the areas of our life that are good because we always equate change with bad. And sometimes Jesus is saying, no, these aren't bad things, Fred. You just got to change the way that you're doing it. You've got to make room for the kingdom. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And as they do, I want to talk a little bit about one of the promises that I made in the launch of this series that... Last year, we introduced three words to you, encounter, embrace, and engage, which represent encounter God's presence, embrace God's family, and engage God's mission. And I said, hey, in this series, I'm going to push the pause button every now and again to talk about how some of these key things fit into us as a church and as a community. So let me take the remaining of our time to answer this question because this is important to us. Luke 17, 18 to 23 says, the disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, are you the Messiah? We've been expecting the Messiah. Are you the one? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Now John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah? This is so great. Jumping down to 22, listen to what Jesus says. Then he told the disciples, go back 
to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Oh, you got to love those verses. Because what Jesus was saying to them is outcomes matter. You can say one thing, but the question is, is there evidence to show it? So if one of these young people were to say to me, I'm a good student, you know what I would say? Show me your report card, because outcomes matter. If, if, if you're here and you're talking about your job and you would say, Fred, I'm a good employee, I would say, tell me about your productivity. If you're here and you're married and you say that I'm a good husband, you know what I'm gonna say to you? I wanna see the countenance on your wife's face because outcomes matter. And what Jesus was saying to those disciples of John the Baptist, outcomes matter in the kingdom. They matter in the kingdom. And so for us, encounter, embrace, and engage, these are outcomes for us. As a leadership team, we are gonna commit ourselves to asking these questions. As we're building this church that we believe you've envisioned to love the world you've died to save, are people experiencing God's presence here? Because that's an outcome that should happen in every church. When people come and life groups or men's retreats or services, whether it's here or with our youth or in kid life, do people, are they experiencing the living presence of God and maybe hearing his active voice for the very first time? Because that's an outcome. And we're going to know we're on the right track. This idea of embrace God's family. See, that's an outcome for us. As that people come back into the church who have been wounded, are they rediscovering trust for the people of God? Are people that thought they would never come back to church visiting again and all of a sudden they're realizing this place is different? Are people showing up in settings like this and an appetite that maybe they did not even know that they had for community and meaningful relationship? Is it being awakened to them because that's an outcome we want to see here at the City Life Church? How about engage? is that we want people to get excited and inspired to believe that God has lost people that they're supposed to reach. That there are people, and we talked about it Legacy Weekend, that if you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, and if you haven't, we'd love to talk to you about it tonight, that one day when you're in heaven, when we breathe our last, and then the, this world has come to an end, and we're all in heaven together, that people are going to be looking around, they're going to find your face, and they're going to say, I'm here because of you. Because of you. We want people to be excited to engage in the mission, come on, of filling heaven with the people that God has assigned you to reach. Stand with me. I see you helpers are going to come. Let's, we're going to move those off. Jesus, Jesus, we bless your name. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the kind of change that you want to work in us. We thank you for the kind of change that you call us to even when we're not ready for it. We thank you, God, for maybe people that are in here tonight that you've been talking with them about change, that they've been holding you off for far too long. But we thank you also for the people that are here tonight that came in having no idea what was waiting for them. But realizing that there's all kinds of changes that they're prepared to make. God, give us the courage of conviction to live up 
to what we already believe to be true. Just as Chris was sharing earlier, God, we don't want to be the ones that left. We want to be the ones that stayed. We want to be the workers and the laborers that broke a sweat for your name's sake. And it's in your name we pray. Come on, everybody said, amen. Let's worship together.